0: Hey, good morning, church. Uh, Before you take a seat, I'll just invite you to turn around to someone nearby and uh, let's greet each other and say a quick good morning. And uh, it's great to see all of you here this morning. What a beautiful morning Uh, with a fresh blanket of snow. A little more than I was expecting. They said something about an inch, but uh, it's a little over three inches where we were. Um, But uh, it's kind of one of those beautiful snowfalls. It's that light, powdery stuff. I was driving here, and I saw someone... um, they were, they were plowing their driveway with a leaf blower, so that's the kind of snow this is. Um, but for those of you who stayed home and you're watching us online, we still welcome you. We're glad that uh, we have options uh, for connecting in so many different ways, because it sure seems like if there's going to be a weather event, there's a 95% chance it's going to happen on a Sunday morning. I don't know why that is, but that has just been the way that this, um, this year has, has been. Um, but, uh, but 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 we 're here today. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone last week who participated in the chili fest we had uh, We had that beautiful smell of chili permeating the uh, the rooms here last week and uh, what a great time that was. Um, it was just great to see so many people connecting and it kind of reminded me of uh, what church was like before the world went insane. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to see that, uh, things are getting back to that point. By the way, it's really good to see a lot of your smiling faces here this morning. The smiles I'm talking about particularly because, uh, if you don't know, um, up to today, uh, or prior to today, uh, masks were a requirement at this point forward. It is completely voluntary according to New York State. And, uh, i 'm happy about that it 's nice to see smiles like I really miss facial expressions so uh, so i 'm excited about that you don 't have to applaud. I know maybe we will have a mask burning uh, ceremony at some point um, but uh um, you know this this coming Friday, I just let you know that uh, we are having a uh, sweetheart um, dinner dance uh, for couples and uh for those of you who are singles in our church, I just want to say we value you and love you. This is not meant to be any kind of an exclusive kind of thing. Uh, we do recognize though that uh, uh, marriages are challenging, and any opportunity we can um, take to build into marriages to build them up, we want to take advantage of that and so that 's the reason why we 've put this event together it 's it's going to be a really nice night out. Um, Cater dinner, and then we've hired a professional ballroom dancer, and uh, we're going to do some ballroom dance lessons. And uh, by the way, you don't have to be a ballroom dancer, or you don't have to even like dancing. That, that's actually me. I fall into that category. I, I, I don't do ballroom dancing. Dancing is not my thing. My wife, all she wants to do is dance. Um, and so that's kind of, it's an opportunity uh, to try something new as a couple and to have a fun time out. Even if you never do it again, uh, it's, a, it's a great time. Um, so uh, for those of you who are visitors or guests, if you uh, need any more information, you should have got it at the uh, welcome table on the way in. And online, you can also just comment in the, uh, the Facebook posts or... Um, or reach out by email and we 'd love to get any information uh, that you may need and uh, get you connected um, so anyway, with all that said i 'm going to pray, and then we 'll open up god 's word together so Lord, we thank you for this good morning, and uh, Lord, just uh, for for the blanket of, of of beautiful white snow, Lord that uh, we woke up to this morning. we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, and uh, we pray Lord now, as you As we open your word, we do ask that you would open up our hearts, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, just uh, do that work from the inside out in each of our lives, that we might look uh, and reflect more of the likeness, the goodness of Jesus. So we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we've been making our way uh, through the gospel of Mark. This is uh, an account of the life of Jesus Christ from the, from the perspective of the disciples as they we're living with him, learning who he was, what he valued, what he was all about. And it has been a very steep learning curve that we have seen, even for the disciples who who had spent so much time um, alongside Jesus. We are up to chapter 10, and they're still struggling to figure him out. They are still challenged by working with Jesus, according to the value system of the world, and they're finding out that it doesn't work. Um, so this morning we're going to see that as uh, as there's there's two different um, people who are brought before Jesus. Um, the first one is a child, and 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 the disciples they they actually try to to keep the child away. They said this this kid is an insignificant somebody. He does he just Jesus doesn't have the time for him. And they find out that Jesus says, no, that's exactly who I want to come by me. Um, and then what happens next, which is what we're going to look at this morning, is, is somebody who is a real somebody in their society, someone that people looked up to, was esteemed, thought much of. He makes his way to Jesus and finds out that um, he, he can't connect with Jesus. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to just read through this together. Um, If you have a Bible, we're going to open it up to Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read starting in verse 17. So here's what it says. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, "'Do not defraud, honor your father and mother.' And he said to him, "'Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth.' And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, "'You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me.' Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." So in this passage, we're finding out that this is going to start out in a very familiar way. We've seen this before. Someone is rushing up to meet Jesus. But what's different this time is that this guy is not coming with any kind of physical ailment. He is not coming with any kind of spiritual impression. He's not even there to point the fingers at Jesus like the Pharisees used to do. His interest lies in the issue of eternity. He's questioning about that. He comes to Jesus with the kind of question that a lot of pastors long to have people ask them about. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, I I had to go back to make sure, um, but I confirmed it, that now that we are 10 chapters, 17 verses into the gospel of Mark, this is the very first time the subject of the afterlife comes up. Can, can you believe that? That's, there, there's something to that. Uh, Jesus, he isn't even the one who initiates the question. It's, it's the guy bringing the question to Jesus, but, but Jesus does engage it, and he responds. And by his initial response, you can kind of get the feeling that this conversation may not go the way that this guy is expecting because before Jesus even answers the question, He asks him, why? He says, why do you call me good? And saying, good is ultimately a title that applies only to God. And so take note of that. There's there's two words there, um, good and God, right? What is good and who is God? Those are two themes that this entire encounter is going to unpack um, he's going to draw out those things in this conversation. But even here at the very onset, Jesus is already, he's, he's challenging him to, to self-reflect, to think through what is it that you're actually asking about. Think through it at a deeper level. You see, good, good was a title that this man seemed to have no trouble applying to his own life as well. So when Jesus uh, talks about the commandments, you know, do not want murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your parents. The man hears and he has no hesitation responding, saying, "All these I have kept from the time of my youth." You know, the the Ten Commandments they break down into two uh, main sections. Um, Jesus said you can sum up the commandments with these two things. It's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so the last six of the Ten Commandments are about loving others as ourselves while the first four are about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and minds. And so the first four deal with inside issues, heart issues, while the last six deal with the way we treat others, they're their outside issues that are visible. I don't know if you notice, but but Jesus hopscotches over the first four commandments and he goes right to the loving others' commandments. And and from that perspective, this guy's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, Yeah, I I do all that. I'm I'm good. I haven't killed anybody, you know, I'm faithful. And um What's interesting is that that, at least from my perspective, doesn't that just fit the mold of what so many in our world try to reduce faith to to today um, you know. Let's forget about the first four commandments. Let's just focus on the last ones, you know, the ones about each other. Isn't, isn't faith really all just about being respectful to people and, and treating each other with dignity and, and holding to some kind of moral code, being a good person? That's really what it's all about, right? But, but Jesus, his answer is no. No. Um, Of course, it includes all that, but it extends beyond that as well. It's more than just the way we treat each other. It's also about what's going on at the heart level of our lives. Because those first four commandments, they haven't expired. They they still apply. The ones about loving the Lord and, and worshiping him alone, about having no other gods before you, that issue of of, of who or what we worship, has to get addressed. Because like Jesus said, God alone is good. And that means that he is the only one worthy to be worshiped. You see, humanity, um, we are all hardwired to worship. Worship isn't just something that religious people do. Worship is something that every person on this planet does. And so the question is not, am I worshiping? The question is, what am I worshiping? In all of our hearts, something takes first place. There's something that we give our ultimate allegiance to, that we center our lives around, that we exalt above and beyond everything else. And in the Bible, the, the word that, uh, that Scripture uses, when our object of worship is anything other than God, the, the Bible calls that idolatry. Um, you know, an idol isn't just a wooden statue. An idol is a God substitute. It's whatever takes that space in our hearts that's meant for God alone that God alone is able to fill. And, and idols, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There's idols of pleasure, of sex, of acceptance, of success, of power, family, prestige, security, money, stuff. You know, none of them in and of themselves are, are evil, right? All of these are good things. They're gifts from God. But when they get elevated too high... Good things get turned into God things, and they turn into and become idols. And that's the challenge. And Jesus confronts the idols of our lives. Money was functioning as God in this guy's life. He is sold out to his stuff. He's trusted in his wealth to be his savior. He sees his money as his form of security, as his form of significance, as the safety net, he can just buy his way out of any situation and whatever may come, he's got a ticket through it because he's got the wallet and the bank account. A good thing has has turned into a God thing and Jesus cares enough to call it out. All right, it says, as you notice, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, there's, There's no sense of threat. There's no sense of insecurity on Jesus' part. God isn't diminished when we have the wrong object of worship set up in our lives. The truth is we're the ones who are diminished. He's not less, we're less. And that's why this matters so much because if it's not him, whatever it is that we have set up as an object of worship, it will be by definition less Less than best and unable to fill that space. So, in compassion and in love, Jesus exposes that idol and he calls him to drop it, to let go of the lesser so we can grab hold of the greater. And so, what he does is he condenses those first four commandments into this one singular statement. He says, You lack one thing, go sell all you have, give it to the poor and then come and follow me. I want you to take note that Jesus calls you and I to do the same thing with the idols that we have residing in our lives, in our hearts. Those good things that we've turned into God, things, whatever they may be, drop them and follow him. There's a a sad ending to this story because the guy doesn't do it. He will not respond. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. His head hung low, downcast and depressed because he had great wealth, it says. See, Jesus calls out the idols in our lives, but it's up to us to knock them down. He doesn't do that for us. It's up to us. This false god of materialism, it had such a deep hold on his heart that he's not He's not willing to let go. He's not willing to, to loosen his grip, and, and that's the problem. Right? So we don't look at this and say, the problem is that he had too much stuff. The problem is that his stuff had too much of him. That, that is the issue. That's the indication that something has turned into an idol. When it goes from something you can just enjoy and hold to loosely, to an addiction, something that you can't not have, to something you can't let go of, that's a pretty good indication that there's an idol that has to get dealt with. And so this young man, as he walks away, doesn't say he's angry. It doesn't say he's upset. It says he walked away sad. See, he, he knew Jesus was right. He, he knew that eternal life Something that could only be found in him. But he was too sold out to his idol. He was sold out to his stuff. And he wasn't willing to take that out of first place. And so he made this tragic decision. He walked away from a personal invitation to follow Jesus. God had come down from heaven, was walking through this earth for 32 years, three years within which he did his ministry. Very few people got a personal invitation to walk through life with him in that way. He did, and he walked away from it. The adventure of a lifetime because he was sold out to his stuff. He wanted to go on with stuff being his savior. That, that's the tragic and sad end of this story. And so as we look at it, what we see is that, again, he didn't have a, a money issue. He had an idol issue. Jesus says in six twenty-four, in, in Matthew 6.24, says this, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I would add to that, you can't serve any other idol and God right? So so just to clarify, he doesn't say that it is wrong and you shouldn't, right? What he says is that it's impossible and you can't. There is only room for one master in our lives. There's only room for one God in our lives. And so what that calls us to pay attention to is, is to choose the object of our worship carefully. There's There's one true God and there's a lot of counterfeit gods that are vying for that place. And so the question when we look at this is not how much is too much. The question is more accurately might be what's in first place? What takes first place in my life? Because that commandment to have no other gods before me it hasn't expired it still matters as much today as ever because there is nothing no matter what it promises no matter how good it looks that can ever take the place of god in our lives right so so that's the story and followed by the story we see a similar pattern where jesus is going to debrief with the disciples they they've had this front seat to watch this entire scenario take place and so next he goes on and he debriefs with them and he says this, and Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished with him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So Jesus is kind of making a point to his disciples. He repeats it more than once. This is something that's really important to pay attention to. I kind of think of it as you know, Jeter just, Jesus takes a takes a road flare and he ignites it. He lights it up, and he is warning about a very real and present danger that we need to be attentive to. Proceed with caution around the area of wealth. He, it almost sounds like as if he's saying that being rich and getting into God's kingdom they almost sound like exclusive, mutually exclusive concepts, right? You know, that was so very different from the assumption in Jesus' day. They equated riches. If someone was rich, they equated that as an indication of God's blessing. God must have blessed that person. He's, he's, he's got the means. That's actually why the disciples, you see, they're astonished. They're shocked because Jesus is telling something that's so different from their assumptions. Truth be told, we, we, we talk that same way today oftentimes, don't we? Right? Right? Someone says, hey, you have a really nice home. Yes, God has really blessed us, right? We, we equate blessing with, with means. And, and maybe it is a blessing. You know, that one is maybe up for debate. We can debate that one. What we, there is no debate about is that there is a warning label attached to wealth. Proceed with caution. So I wanna read that warning one more time. But before we do... Let's just keep in mind who this warning is addressed to. It's a warning that's addressed to the wealthy. And, you know, it is very, very easy for all of us to assume and convince ourselves that this warning, this applies to someone else. It's an important warning. It's not for me because I'm not wealthy. Right? I don't drive a fancy car. I don't live in a mansion, so I'm not wealthy. Let, let, let me break it to you gently. okay? If you have a car, if you have a roof over your head at night, if you have access to food supply that lasts more than two days, and you're not losing sleep over where tomorrow night's dinner is going to come from, You are among the wealthiest people on this planet throughout the entire course of world history. Congratulations. Middle-class America is on the very pointy edge of the upper class worldwide compared to the majority of the population throughout the course of world history. All that to say... That despite your financial condition, there is a good chance that this warning applies to each and every one of us. Let's listen again. Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is what happens when we turn money and wealth into a God. When we make an idol out of wealth, it blinds us from seeing that we have a need in our lives that no amount of money is ever gonna satisfy. So the danger is not that the wealthy wouldn't be able to get into the kingdom of God. The danger is that they wouldn't care to. They wouldn't see the need, that that we would just presume that we are already set with everything we need because we have enough money. We wouldn't see our desperate need for God. That's what happens when money takes the place of God. Money is the American idol of choice, right? And there is a belief that permeates our culture that says to us all the time that what we really need is just a little more. doesn't matter how much you have, you need just a little more. You know, in 2020, there were 612,561 families that filed for bankruptcy. Those are actual households sacrificed on the altar of consumerism and materialism. The average American carries around $6,000 in credit card debt. Finances continue to be one of the leading causes of stress in our culture, one of the leading causes of divorce. See, this is is where the worship of wealth has taken us. But all of us have to wrestle with this idea that we need more. We wrestle with that, don't we, on a daily basis? We really think we need more. This is the challenge, this is the reality. This is why there are twice as many verses about money in the Bible as there are about faith and prayer combined. 15% of everything Jesus said is related to money and possessions, and he taught more about money and finances than he did about heaven and hell combined. See, Jesus wants to make this very, very clear. The warning flares are up early and often, Beware of the space money occupies in your life. Make sure it's a servant. It can be a good servant, but don't make it your savior. It is a horrible savior. And so the question for us is, are we listening? Do we see that? So here's the question is, what are we relying? What are you relying on? What are you trusting in money for that that you ought to be trusting in God for? See, there is no life that is not in need of God. Jesus makes that clear. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible, not with more money. All things are possible only with God. And only as we extend our perspective and see beyond the here and now and understand the issues of eternity, does that really come clear? All the wealth in the world means nothing the second we take our final breath. On the other side of eternity, the largest bank account in the world doesn't mean a thing. Jesus alone is the one who can lead our lives into eternity. And so be aware, be aware of the need, learn the lesson, heed the warning. So uh, Peter at this point responds, and here's, here's what he says. It says, Peter, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. I'll just point out quickly that Peter, who is saying this, um, he has said he's left everything for Jesus, but take note, he still has a house. That's, that's where Jesus kind of has his base of operations. So, so what he's getting at here is not a, a literal um, leaving everything. It, it may be more of just a handing over. But, but he says that we have left everything to follow you. And I think that verse, that's a verse we all need to be able to, to make our own, to sign at the bottom of it and sign our name to. That's, that's how we know that we've got that worship thing right, that we're not just doing good things, but we've got the right object of worship. That's, that's the place Jesus calls us to be. And again, it may not be physically leaving everything, but at the heart level, there's a release. Lord, this is all yours. You say the word and I let it go. I'm not clinging, I'm not clinging onto this, I'm, I'm holding on to you. You come first, all that I have is yours. Anything you point out that's getting in the way of me and you, you let me know and I'll release it, right? Jesus clarifies here that, that letting go is a part of the plan. That if our intention is to walk with Jesus, to, to follow Jesus, this is one of those discipleship 101 principles because we cannot follow him until we've, we've dropped the other things that are central to our lives. Uh, for some, he says, this is going to mean leaving these other things that people make idols out of, homes and, and families, material possessions. And that can happen. Right? We that's that's the substitute, that's that's the alternative to making idols, is just releasing them and putting Jesus first. For some, this is a literal thing, right? There are there there are right now half a world away, there are believers who who literally are living this passage out. They're they're being persecuted, they're they're being killed, they're being driven from their homes. They've lost everything for no other reason than their commitment to Christ. <coughs> <coughs> And so what he says is, recognize this is a part of the plan. And it only makes sense, excuse me, when we understand our lives in light of eternity, when we see the big picture. The goal is to live now with our hearts set on what is next. To understand that the day's coming when when, when Jesus is going to come back and things are going to look a whole lot different. The ones, Jesus says, who are at the front of the line, they're going to find themselves at the back of the line. And, and those who are in the, the, the back of the line are going to find themselves in the front. And nothing matters more than Jesus. And so there's this, um, this illustration I've heard before um, of, of imagining this, this line that extends east to west as far as you can imagine, hundreds of miles east, hundreds of miles west. And then if you look at that line and then you take one half inch of that line, that represents the entirety of human history. And if you take that one half inch of that line, put it under a microscope, you will find one microscopic dot that represents the entirety of your life from beginning to end. And you know what our world says? That's what it's all about. That is the only thing that matters is that microscopic tiny dot in the line. Live your life for now. YOLO, right? Jesus says... Don't live for the dot, live for the line. Live for the line, live in light of eternity. What's coming is so much better. And so release it in the now with the realization of what is yet to come. There is no regret in releasing. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What has to happen for you to make those words your own? There will, at the end of the day, be those who who cling on to what they have and let go of Jesus. And there will be those who release everything they have and and cling on to Jesus. Those, Those are kind of the only two options laid out here. And there's a promise attached for those who grab hold of him. This call of the disciple, of the follower, is that he will be with us, that he will take care of us that even in our letting go, we, we find so much more. We, we, we get connected to family of faith, to church. We see his provision in, in, in amazing ways. And the idea is that there is no regret in living life 100% with Jesus in the center. It's the greatest adventure in life. And today, there's just ordinary people, people like you and like me, who are answering that call, give up everything, let go, hold loosely in your heart and hold him as most important and follow where he leads. Let's pray together.